Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Talk in Deen podcast. I'm your host Majid and I have with me brother Rash, the one and only. We have Mr. Sira, uh, Talking Sira specialist, brother JK. And also we have uh, brother Khairul with us today. Um, he's our resident artist, the one who designs all our posters and all the graphics work and uh, you know, we get many compliments for the work, but uh, people don't see who does the work. And, uh, you know, here we today, we, we dragged Brother Khairul on just to give us some exposure and put uh, a face to the name. Um, brothers, welcome to the show. I do feel a bit overwhelmed here, you know, because um, our, our viewers and listeners probably don't know, but... Uh, uh, Rash, JK, and Khairul, and also brother Kam from the last show, they are uh, brothers, uh, blood brothers, uh, the Kashems. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, uh, the brothers, uh, it's like a household of da'is and da'wah carriers and, and politicians. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. May Allah bless this family. But yeah, so I feel a bit overwhelmed here, you know, uh, I'm, I'm outnumbered three to one. It's okay, it's okay, Maj. In Islam, there's no such thing as uh, brotherhood just uh, in the family. So you're, everyone's our brother. You're our brother as well. So Masha welcome Allah. to the family. <laughs> welcome to the family. Easy sound like a mafia, bro. But, you okay, can we'll change so your second name. We'll that's, change that's your second name. That. We're not going to gang up, your, gang up on you, bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah but no, all, the only ready thing, for good it. thing is I'm asking the questions in it. So if it was the other way around, I probably would be outnumbered in that respect. But okay, guys. So, yo, time's going quick. Ramadan's flying. Um, we're, 10 days uh, have gone. And I think we're on the 13th day now. And um, it's crazy. I've, I've not known any any time of the year to go as quick as this uh, month of Ramadan. And this is the same thing we say every year anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, just to uh, uh, get an insight on uh, how things are going and how you guys have been spending these blessed days, uh, I'll start with Brother, brother Rush. Um, bro, what's happening? Alhamdulillah. Um, yeah, you're right. It's going fast. And I know we say it every single year. I've been trying to put my finger on why. I think it's just that, like you say, you have a, a, a very regimented routine. And because you have a routine and you want to try and fit a lot of things in, when you're busy, I think time generally goes quicker. Ah, good angle. Yeah. Good angle. yeah. So like you said, and when you're free and, you know, you're maybe relaxing a little bit, not spending every minute doing something, time, I think, goes a little bit slower. Um, and maybe it's also that you're a little bit agitated that you want to do more. So, you know, you want to try and fit your Quran in, you want to fit some reading in, you want to fit some speaking to brothers in. So because you're trying to fit so much in, I think that makes it go quicker. Um, And then there's Taraweeh to fit in as well, obviously. So all of a sudden, the amount of spare time you have in the day squeezes a lot. I'm not sure why I've been thinking about it, but um, I assume that's why the reason is. Bro, I think you smashed it there. I think you've answered my question. All these years I've been wondering why. And today on this podcast, you've answered it. Because to be honest with you, even like yesterday, I was like um, just sat outside in the garden for a bit in the sun. It was obviously sunny and stuff. And uh, and then it just dawned on me. I thought uh, I could be doing I could be doing something better, like uh, maybe uh, reading some Quran or something like that or preparing for this podcast even. So um, you're yeah, right. Think- it's like you want to make most of it. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say something similar, to be honest with you, that every year you think, well, every year Ramadan creeps upon you, but when you're in Ramadan, it goes so quick. But obviously, 
when you, if you were to ask any of you for like, is there any day time of the day where you sit there thinking or twiddling your thumbs like, what shall I do? You, oh, you don't yeah, think that because you've always got something to do, yeah. especially when you're involved in this type of activity, when you're involved in the yeah. Dawah yeah, and yeah, we've yeah. got this online, um, uh, obviously yeah. we're running the, the Votu page. You're constantly thinking, okay, what am I going to do next? Mm, do I need to work yeah. on some posters? Do I need to... Well, you know, That's true, podcast? you know, because when, when we were young, well, when I was young, I remember like you'd be waiting for Iftar, twiddling your thumbs, like, when's the food going to be ready? Continually asking your mum, like... <laughs> Oh, when's the food going to be ready? When's it? When's if that? How long do we have? How many hours yeah. left? But now, like, if that just jumps on you and you're like, well, subhanAllah, like, when, when did the time come? Uh, but I, I don't know, you guys know, obviously, uh, I've had a baby as well, uh, alhamdulillah, like, uh, recently. So he's only three weeks old. So um, I know Rash and Maj have got kids, so they're probably like, yeah, welcome to our world. But <laughs> no, th- that totally changes everything because uh, your time, we, we had like a plan and some logic around what I'm going to do in Ramadan. That's gone out the window. Because, you know, when he's crying, he's not going to tell me when he's planning to cry or when he needs mm. to be fed and stuff like that. And his mum does quite a lot, but obviously I need to help out. And, you know, modern man and everything, so I <laughs> can't just leave it all to her. But Alhamdulillah, it's good. It's been good. It's been a blessed Ramadan, but like you said, it's gone rapid. All I'll say is just make sure, uh, brother Daniel Hakikaju doesn't listen to this uh, podcast, bro. Or he's going to be on your case, man. <laughs> that you'll deal with me. Yeah. Modern is Muslim. <laughs> me and Maggie a bit more old school, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, man. But now it's good, man. It's good. But you know, like you said, it's it's a new experience with the kid in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think you guys have made valid points because already, even even when you just say you've had your food. Right, you're already looking at the time because you need to get to Tarawi, mm. and also, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but with the the mosques like implementing some sort of social distance and stuff, then you know uh, you can only probably get half the amount of people that you normally would mm. do. So you need yeah. to make sure you're there on time, and you know it's not in the old school ways of just walking in just before uh, Isha. You got to be there before, and mm. uh, so you get a, a small amount of time even after iftar, yeah. um, and then sh- and then when it comes into the week where you're working. When you come back from Tarawi and stuff, you're already thinking about, okay, I probably need to get a bit of sleep because I get up for suhoor because I'm working the next day. So you're right. You're constantly, you're constantly uh, looking at the watch. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's the reason why, like, you know, a time does go quick. But I think also because of the blessings we know, yeah. the amount of blessings that are in this month. And, uh, and as uh, uh, Khairul sort of alluded to, certainly for the people who are maybe a bit more proactive in, on the dawah scene you know um you know that this month is is the month where people you know people will uh open their hearts to you and uh you know there's people a bit more receptive because of the the blessed month itself mm-hmm. and also because you know that uh the activity you do which is obligatory anyway either dawah and stuff you got you got to do that anyway but when the prophet sallallahu talks about the 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 rewards multiplying uh, to a great extent mm. Then you know You know you're not just Doing a sunnah action here You're doing something Which is needed Something which is obligatory mm. So inshallah ta'ala, Allah accepts it from us um, You know we could be really uh, Making a lot of progress um, For the akhirah I.e. the next life sure. You know yeah. um, But cool inshallah let, let's, let's move on to The uh, uh, few topics We have A couple of segments We have for today's podcast And uh, I want to start off on uh, the uh, issue of uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, the issue of uh, the murder of George Floyd. We know that on the 21st of April, mm-hmm. um, I, about five five days, 25th, yeah, four or five days ago, 
uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, he was found guilty of murdering George Floyd uh, last year on the 25th of May. Um, and we know that this issue caused, you know, uh, uproar around the world. You know, the movements like Black Lives Matter uh, became very prominent. We, we saw even up until now, we see that, uh, you know, some sports events, people are still taking the knee in reference to this. Now, the, the question that I want to pose, and I think is worth discussing, okay, for anyone who knows the history of America, certainly with its race relations and certainly with its uh, uh, Afro-American population, uh, it's been... Uh, it's been really, really bad. I, you know, that, that's, there's no other way to put it. Um, but with Joe Biden coming out, making a statement about moving, uh, moving ahead, about a lot of work to do and so on. The question I think is worth discussing, is this like a watershed moment? Is this now the end of racism in America? Is this event, uh, this prosecution of Derek Chauvin, do you think this is the start of the eradication of racism as we know it? in the United States of America. Brother JK, I'm going to drop this one on you to uh, give yeah. us your views. Actually, to be honest with you, it may well be that some people don't know what's happening, so it might be a good idea just to uh, yeah. give a bit of explanation of what actually happened and, and take it from there, bro. Uh, it's, it's, it's like you said, um, so m- most people should know uh, the fact that um, the, the, the George Floyd killing, so, um, it was one of those things that it kind of went global. Like everyone in the world knew about this. It was a massive event and like you said, led to mad, mass protests. Uh, but just the background, if, for those who don't know, um, basically George Floyd, he walked into a shop um, and he bought something and he apparently gave counterfeit um, money. So when the shopkeeper saw this, uh, he was a bit afraid to kind of um, confront him and uh, he called the police to say, look, this guy's uh, got counterfeit money, well, which is, you know, it's, it's a crime. But it's not to the, it's not that bad of a crime that you'd think uh, it would lead to such actions of Derek Chauvin. So then that nine minute video came out of Derek Chauvin basically stamping on his uh, his neck with his knee, um, and uh, other other officers actually watching and keeping people back. Um, and uh, what's his name, George Floyd? He uh, he was saying he can't. He kept saying the words "I can't breathe, I can't breathe," and this this statement itself became like the slogan of the of the mass protests. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't breathe. And he eventually died. Um, and this this is what, like you said, led to many people um, not just talking about this one incident. Th- this one incident was the trigger point, really, mm. uh, for many uh, Afro-Americans and others that knew about, you know, what the situation happening uh, to raise the alarm to say, look, this is not just a one off moment. This has happened, been happening for far too long in America, as well as globally, you know throughout the world people started speaking out to say look this isn't just an american issue this is an issue that's happening across the western world um and there were other protests blm like you said blm protests happening so after all of that happened obviously the 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 um, trial took place it was a public trial uh, people could watch online and things like that so it was, it was because it was such a uh, key event people wanted want to it was in the public interest to put it uh, live um, and he was charged on all three counts that he was being held uh, for second degree, third degree manslaughter and murder. Um, and he's found guilty for all three. Mm. Um, and he hasn't been sentenced yet, but he will be. And he could face decades in, in prison. Um, I don't think he'll face the death penalty, but he's, he could face decades in prison. So that's still what's happening. And um, the other three officers that were there, they're also being held on trial. Um, obviously, they would have hoped that he would not have been found found guilty 
because then that would mean that they can't they can't find other people guilty if they don't find the main persecutor guilty. So they will face, uh, you know, for their part they played in allowing it to happen and not stopping him. Uh, they will also face uh, punishment. Uh, but going back to your question as to whether this is a watershed moment, is it is it going to be the end of racism in America? Uh, the fact is, no. Um, this uh, ruling, there was no doubt this ruling would happen. Because if you imagine, it was such a politicised event um, that everyone was had their eyes on this ruling from the judge. So if they had found him not guilty it would have led to civil war, not even protests. It would have led to civil war in America um, and it would pit blacks against whites and those who are of colour probably against, against whites. So they didn't want that, obviously. They, they don't want that image of America. Um, however, that, that is the image of America. America is still racist. Um, it, it, I don't know whether you know, there's a mural of George Floyd uh, in one of, I can't remember what state, it might be in Minneapolis, where he's from. Uh, there's a mural of him. It's a you might have seen it. it's like a cartoon face of him. Yeah, you, yeah. you would have seen the image though. You oh, might graf have seen the graffiti on the wall. Yes, the graffiti yeah. on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was uh, defaced, uh, and basically they said, I'm not going to say the words, but they said, "N word, mm. lives don't matter," and that was oh, okay. yeah. So they defaced that. So you tell me, has racism ended in America? Of course it hasn't. It's still there. Whether it's the undertone of the political system and establishment. Uh, which it absolutely is, uh, not just with Trump, but also Democrats. Just because a Democrat comes to power, that doesn't mean racism just all of a sudden goes. Mm. And also it exists in the public and societal sphere as well. People, not everyone, but there are large parts of that population that continue to be racist and hold these views. Okay, I mean, the thing is, is even I think the next day, uh, a 16-year-old girl was shot yeah. dead as well four times in the chest. Um, for I mean, someone could argue, yeah, she had a knife, she had a knife on her, but yeah. you know, if someone's got a knife, you could, I mean, these are trained officers. It's not like Oslot with a, a a paintball gun. You know, you know what I mean? They can shoot with the knee, they can do whatever they want. But four shots to a sixteen-year-old straight in the chest is like as if the lives don't really uh, lives yeah. don't matter. But um, and also even uh, there was actually the um, police department in Ohio who on their Facebook page, uh, straight after the verdict, you know, there was a statement made about, um, you know, you know, like when uh, Chauvin got uh, sentenced, he stood up and he just put his hands behind his uh, back and he got, you know, handcuffed and they took him away. And the statement was that if George Floyd had done that, then maybe we wouldn't be here today. And then the police department came out to apologize and said, oh, it was, it was just a police officer who was meant to put it on his own Facebook page, but he put it on the police department Facebook page, right? So obviously, you know, this one incident isn't going to do that. But, um, but you know, is, is the problem attitudes of, of, of people? Uh, is, is it do, the, do, do white people in America feel that they are superior uh, to, to people of color or... Is there something which is uh, more of a systematic problem here at hand, where even if you bring a black president in or a, um, you know, a colored vice president, uh, female, either Kamala Harris, right? That in reality, these are just like token gestures um, and they don't really bring about that. Change. Is, is there like a, is there like a underlying issue, which just a, a person uh, being elected won't change? I think um, before we answer that question, maybe um, uh, one of the other brothers can answer that question. But one thing to note here is 
um, it, and it's linked to the, the the trial that took place, is that those people, people who are look for, looking for justice, looking for some sort of punishment for these people who carry out um, you know brutality against uh, black people or uh, minorities, a, a punishment in itself is that going to be um, Sorry, my screen is just. We can still hear you. We can okay. still see you. We can still hear you. So, carry okay. on, bro. Sorry. Um, yeah, is that going to re remove racism from the minds of people? It's not, is it? I mean, no. somebody who um, is racist, blatantly racist, has racial uh, has uh, these prejudices in their mind. Um, if they are punished by the system for whatever action that they have carried out, does it mean that? tomorrow they're going to be best friends with their you know with a black person and are they gonna is that race those racist thoughts going to be removed from their mind yeah it's not no sort no no kind of punishment is gonna um lead to that it it requires a, a complete overhaul of the way that they think uh, a lot of people in this country will say look they need education and i understand what they mean by that but it's not education per se. It's completely, uh, you know, uh, decoding the way that somebody thinks, uprooting that thought and replacing it with a purer thought. And that's yeah. the only way that racism will, will be eradicated. Uh, it's ideological. Handing out, yeah. yeah, from an yeah, ideological perspective. It's not just by handing out punishments. So what you're yeah. saying is racism is a thought and um, it's just how people people think. So they have these discrimination against people. So you punish someone, that doesn't mean necessarily that he's going to actually think, ah, oh, I, I was wrong because I'm being punished. Exactly. That, that's that's a point. really good point. That's mm -hmm. a really good point. So, I mean, actually, okay, with what you've just said there and with the question I, I asked in regards to a systematic issue, if, people, if this is what people are thinking, um, where is this? Because obviously thought, these ideas come from somewhere, don't they? Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, whether it's media, whether it's the government or whether it's upbringing, you know, like when you see a little kid, uh, I remember, you know, like, if there's like a four or five year old, probably not that young, but you know, you see someone, a kid saying, you know, in the old days, you say, packy this, packy that. They don't know what a packy is. Mm -hmm. They're obviously just repeating stuff that they heard from home. They're just mimicking it, right? So th this, these ideas, uh, this discrimination, these, this, this evil, erroneous thought, it comes from somewhere, Okay. So A, where does it come from? And then B, I guess from what you're saying is that where it comes from needs to be changed so that a pure thought comes from comes to people, I, I, which is not full of discrimination and uh, uh, like, for example, racism. Mm, so yeah. what, do, what do you got? Rash, you haven't spoken, bro. Come on. Yeah, no, no, it's cool. Um, the thing is, the way you've got to look at it is there's already deep rifts within the psyche, particularly in, in America. And again, remember, this isn't limited to America. This is this is a global problem, especially a Western world problem. Yeah. Mm. So this idea of there being kind of superiority and inferiority, you have to go back and look at history. And from a historic point of view, we see this inferiority and superiority comes from when, you know, the white man oppressed the black man. Yeah. So that is deeply rooted. And the reason we see it in America at a, such a scale is it's pr it's practically written into their amendments. Yeah. It's written into their constitution. So when Khairul says about, you know, the thoughts, 
that's important that's that's probably the most important point because we that's the only way you can eradicate it because you have to make people think differently but it's very difficult to make people think differently if the whole constitution and their whole you know say take the 13th amendment yeah you know like the abolishment of slavery yeah mm. and i'm not going to give a history lesson and talk about you know what happened originally and all of the native americans being killed and all of that but it is linked to that to just give one element of it the the 13th amendment it highlights that um you know slavery is abolished apart from for a punishment yeah, yeah? so if you're punishing in the prison system or if you th- if you're punishing someone because they did something wrong then a type of slavery is allowed because you can use them for slave labor yeah. within the prison system yeah. so what you've now got is you've got a society which over the years have imprisoned and mass incarcerated more and more people mm. and caused this divide so the thought is already there that black people already feel inferior because what, when they do something they get chucked in prison when they do something they get pulled over in their car but when a white person does the same thing they don't mm. those aren't things that will just be changed just because oh there's one case and there's one change you know someone gets um second degree murder mm-hmm. what i would say though quickly is that there is a this is a quite a significant um rule sorry um sentence on the basis that up to now um police officers generally get away with it they never get done for second second degree murder yeah it's yeah. usually either at best like manslaughter and some more often than not they get away with it because they're in a position of authority so it might have an impact but that mm-hmm. doesn't take away from the fact that in their constitution they say that oh let's throw people into prison and then these prisons are private this is yeah. the big problem these are private institutions yeah that are there from you know a lot of them are money making institutions yeah, Pri- yeah prisons in america have been privatized not all bro, of them it's a massive business it's a huge mm, industry huge and what is it it's it's slavery yeah we yeah. still have modern day slavery in the so called most progressed um secular yeah. yeah it's insane isn't it and they're they're exporting their way of life to muslim lands remember yeah. democracy and their way of life but they're the country that still has modern day slave labor and not just slave labor in terms of oh let's get people into prisons and then use them remember you know right at the beginning if you go back to the american civil war and i pass it on to someone but my point's quite long but if you if you look at the civil war you'll notice that initially when slavery was abolished there wasn't enough labor yeah so a lot of the southern states what they did was they started throwing black people into prison off the back of petty crime and sometimes not even petty crime there's loads of examples of just someone just loitering and what did they do oh we chuck him in prison why because we need you know our amendment our 13th amendment says we can get labor off off as a means of punishment yeah yeah so exactly. can you see how this is so deeply ingrained into their constitution and their systems and their amendments just one particular case 
is not going to change that. And that's why I don't think this is the end of, of racism in America. So, so JK, what, what's, what's the problem here, man? What, what's, obviously, we, uh, Russia spoke about the, the, the prison industry and, yeah. and the, you know, we know that there's a prison boom, certainly after the civil rights uh, uh, movements as well. Yeah. So, so we're talking about something which is deep-rooted. Yeah. yeah. What is the problem, bro? So it's as Rush was saying. The thing is, um, the way you need to view slavery, slavery wasn't just done because of the thought that, um, yeah, black people are, are inferior and, and Indians and, you know, these people are inferior to them. That it, Obviously, that's what they believe. But the other probably more primary reason is that it made them money. Like you, mm. like you guys are saying, this was a massive it was slave trade, right? So this made them lots of money, especially in, uh, you know, the Republican states. They made so much money from the slave trade, right? Even in Britain, actually, not just America. In a lot of countries that were primarily involved in this, they made a lot of money from slave slavery. So when they needed to, you know, there came a point where they needed to abolish slavery, but they did it in name only. Like Rush said, it was, it was a statement to say, look, we've abolished slavery. The 13th Amendment itself is the abolishment of slavery. But ironically, the 13th Amendment is the same amendment that has you know bring slavery back yeah so so like rush is saying for petty crimes there were um, mass incarceration of black people and and you know if you say oh that was back then in the 1800s or whatever uh, that was you know this you're talking about history that's not the case if you take the stats and data now and look at the proportion of black people in prison compared to non-blacks it's massive huge mm. so why is that because the mentality remained that as Russia's saying, you know, for smaller crimes. So the thing is, no one's saying that black people don't commit crime. Lots of people commit crime in their Western lands. No one said that. Even George Floyd was committing a crime. No one's saying they don't commit crime. That, that girl who was, you know, had a knife, she was committing a crime. But the point people are making is that they are, you know, the, the punishment and the consequences of their crimes are far greater and, you know, not warranted. Uh, the, that's the problem. And, that, you know, just because of their colour of their skin. So going back to your question, what is the actual problem? The problem is capitalism itself, the system that they, they you know, their ideology, the, the, the system that they have embraced. And people might think, okay, why is, what's capitalism got to do with uh, racism or slavery? Or, but it has, because capitalism, what is it? What is capitalism? Capitalism is uh, primarily about uh, benefit. So their, their criteria in life for a capitalist is expediency and benefit. How can I make as much wealth and profit and um, you know fulfill all my desires as much as possible? How can I do this? So they will do anything. They will um, anything. You know, it's not about moral, having morals or humanity. They will do whatever is required to make as much money as possible. So slavery was in the interest of capitalists. Uh, incarceration of black people is in the interest of capitalists. And um, there's a quote of, uh, I think it was Kipling, uh, there's a book he, he wrote called The White Man's Burden. So the white man's burden, what is the white man in this case is the capitalist. It's not just... You, you, you're not on about Mr. Kipling, are you? Not Mr. <laughs> not, not your, not your uh, apple pies, no. <laughs> no. Um, so, so he said, look, the white man's burden is something that they have, uh, you know, colonised all these lands. They have got all of these, you know, um, non-whites under their control, under the colonial system, in, under imperialism. So their burden is this, now that they have this, you know, what, what are they going to do with them? So this is uh, reflects back to the point that capitalism 
leads to racism because they want to push their interests. They want uh, to, uh, you know, gain as much benefit and wealth as much as possible. So because of this, that's what's led to racism. And, you know, we also know that uh, many of these Americans, they're ultra-nationalists, aren't they? So for mm -hmm. them... They are very patriotic. And for them, you know, although America itself was built on racism, you know, the fact that they uh, wiped out the Native Americans, for them, being American and, you know, being like the, the Republicans are probably even stronger Americans in that sense, where they're so patriotic. But why is it that, you know, Trump supporters have this trait of racism? Because that in itself uh, is, you know, expounds racism that, you know, we are American, we are white Americans, we don't want black people doing this we don't want yeah. people of color doing this you know they've got um hatred against mexicans why is it that trump i know he's not around anymore but mm. why did he want the wall because mm. they push this and just because someone is replaced so trump is replaced by biden that doesn't mean racism has gone because mm. you even before trump racism was there even under obama mm. but what trump did is when he came to power he brought them out in the open all these people that were holding it back holding it within themselves uh, probably you know subtle racism they thought now we've got an opportunity to actually show it you know be brazen about our racism and they came out and, and likewise now that biden's and maybe they will push back a little bit but it, all, it still exists why did they deface that mural because there's people still out there that didn't agree with the Derek Chauvin uh, sentence they didn't agree with this so mm. yeah it is very systemic systemic and uh, institutional institutionalized racism is not a exaggeration Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. If you're enjoying this podcast so far, please make sure to subscribe to all of our socials, especially YouTube. And if for any reason you're not enjoying this podcast, then please make sure to contact us on Facebook or Instagram and let us know what we can do better and how we can improve. Jazakallah khair. You know, it's, it's something that exists. Uh, and we'll carry on existing you know i'm glad you made that point really you know that point about um i think what people fail to see sometimes is you know in society if you hang if you know because especially take uk for example because when you go out on the street there's so much so much multiculturalism yeah and you yeah. see people of all colors and and creeds and and cultures everywhere there's this fake view that oh okay we've progressed and we've gone beyond this idea of um disunifying by color and and things like that on the from a superficial point of view that's how it looks but i'm glad you made the point because america and when trump came into power highlighted and actually social media also highlights the deep divisions and the thoughts that people carry because yeah. remember when you're take your office for example you go into your office and there's people of all types. Why do they say you can't talk about politics and religion in your office? They know that people have certain thoughts that if you allow them to fester in, in a work environment, there will be clashes. Okay. Yeah? And, and that's key because people are carrying those thoughts. As Khairul was saying earlier, people are carrying those thoughts, but they've superficialized even if that's not might not be a word they've superficialized the society so that we look at society and go look we've progressed because we all live together but actually yeah. the ideas that people carry are still very um divisionary yeah? yeah and still racism exists heavily so if they're trying to say and they try to promote to us don't they that we're a progressed civilization 
Yeah, look, we as from Darwinian evolution and all of those kind of things, they're saying that we're progressing. Technologically, we're getting better. Societally, we're so-called getting better. And look at our situation today, we're progressed. But actually, when you look at these type of examples and all these clashes that are happening, these protests um, against what's happening in America, actually, they're more divided than they've ever been. And people's viewpoint towards other people is horrific when you let them say how they really feel. And that's what we saw in America. And that's key. And I'm glad you also mentioned capitalism because if you take that back to the prison system, look, you know, some of these private prisons, for example, they've, the number of black people in prisons compared, like you said, is astronomical in comparison. And someone might argue, someone might say, wait there a minute, that's because black people commit more crime than white people. But what, what, what is crime? Yeah, their crime, the way they see crime is stealing and, you know, drug abuse and all of these things. But, you know, stealing and drug abuse, which might account for the majority of people in prison, those things have been created by capitalism. Yeah. The real crimes are actually, you know, these um, so-called capitalists who avoid tax and have got richer and richer and richer. They're the reason there's poverty and ghettoization in places like America. When you have ghettoization and you have poverty, it leads to stealing. It leads mm. to crime. If exactly. you then throw all the blacks into that area and you ghettoize them and you don't allow them to get out of that, what do you get? Yeah. You just, get just- this. Yeah, sorry, just go on. To add to that, just to add to that point just there, though, you know you're talking about gatorization, and like, as, the, as though you could, they could have naturally allowed it to occur, but just to accelerate it, do you guys know that they actually uh, pumped cocaine into black communities? 100%. They pumped drugs into black communities. Why? Firstly, to make them addicted, because yeah. it's a drug, right? They can be addicted and they would never like, rise up. And secondly, they could use this to then arrest them. Exactly. So they actually accelerated it. Exactly. So, you know, this this is the crime that the capitalism has created this crime. And, you know, it's the same elitist capitalists who are profiting from those prisons. And that tends to be the white man. Yeah. So look at it from the other point of view. Um, They have, you know, in some of these private prisons, do you know what they have in the clauses? They have occupancy clauses. This is horrendous. Occupancy clause says to the state, and and this is what I want to make this point, yeah, to the state, what the occupancy clause says is if you don't get this many people into your prisons, we're a private organization, we need to make money, Mm. we'll look after your prisons because you've got too many people, and look, you can't, the state can't afford it. So let us bring a private organization in to manage your prison. Sounds Mm. from the sounds crazy that this could even happen but this is happening so we'll create a, a private prison for you you're struggling with your uh, your criminals let them come in but you know if we're going to pay for this out of our money you need to support us the way you support us is here's a clause in your contract there's that says you need to have 95 percent occupancy so therefore, the state goes, oh, damn, we're not reaching our occupancy. Let's chuck a few more people in prison. Otherwise, we're going to breach our contract and we're going to have to pay a fine. Who pays that fine? The taxpayer. Yeah. yeah. How it's, it's insane if you think about it. And it's, it's happening to this day. It's it. yeah. I just thought I had to make that point. That's mad. And like you said, the occupancy is uh, how is it achieved? Throwing black people in prison. It's not even as though they uh, be, are equal in that. 
that will go around all our communities and get people that they're just pick the easiest target and that's what capitalism is it's survival of the fittest so for them it's like they it's a cancer so they will you know any any weak or you know minority that they cannot get hold of they will grasp them mm. and they will chuck them and there'll be no equality or humanity in that another another point as well is um that going back to the the, the point that uh Khairul made at the at the beginning about the 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 thought about you know people carrying a, a thought which makes them feel like they're superior to to other people and and uh looks at looks down on people of color especially black people um as as inferior now with it being a thought this also means that this cannot be removed through legislation mm -hmm. so even if you now make stricter laws or you make you know uh and you know just say they add even uh amend they even amend the constitution even just say even if they were just to go beyond the 13th constitution constitution and uh, 13 article but the point is is that the laws are not going to make this problem go away and as you guys have highlighted the problem is due to the system the the, the systems of life that the people adopt um and within this system is inherent and, and and we actually we see this not just in america we see this in the western world certainly that you know the capitalists are the real power and the capitalists are predominantly if not all white it just so happens to be that way and that the problems of whether it's uh, george floyd um or whoever it is these issues are not are issues of racism and discrimination are not going to be resolved um through any legislation or through a black president or an indian vice president you know what needs to change is the system and and we could talk about how islam is the the solution to this as malcolm x said many years ago that uh, the only solution for racism in america is islam but i'm not going to go down that route because i just want to discuss with you guys about the issue of the george floyd killing but we know that islam is a solution and if people want to listen back to probably about um a year ago um we did the podcast on the George Floyd issue and we, we, we covered this. So, you know, we're speaking about capitalists. We speak about uh, greed. JK mentioned about greed, about the reason why uh, I think Sim made a very good point a year ago on uh, from the podcast. I look in capitalist literature, it doesn't say anything about racism, but the, the actual implementation is that, you know, the, the, the strong will oppress the weak and the weak being those people uh, of of color and, and black people so we know that this is about the ideology this is about greed okay now i want to take this discussion on a different route now okay from uh the streets of america to europe and to as i actually I, to, to, what i should say is inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun um, i don't know if, even if i can say that or not but i'm gonna say it anyway um, but the European Super League, which uh, lived for uh, a very long two days, we see that this caused chaos. This caused this unified people uh, around the around Europe, certainly in England, Britain, who you would not have thought about. Um, and there's a reason why I'm bringing this up because it's not just about sports. We're talking about greed and stuff, and that's all you've been listening to on the you know about the Prime Minister talk about greed you've had the ministers 
and these are capitalists themselves. So I, I'm sure I'm going to get your views on why these capitalists are actually calling out greed because that's just the way it is, right? But okay, Khairul, I'm going to drop this to you um, just in case someone doesn't know about what's happening with the European Super League. They might not be into sports. Um, give us a, just a summary of, of what happened and what are your thoughts on uh, this issue? Yeah, so um, obviously anyone who's listening who follows football will know in detail probably uh, what's happened. Um, those who don't really follow sports and, and football might have heard about, probably have heard about it, but don't know too much. So basically, um, in in Europe, we have a, uh, they have like a, a set structure and format of football where each and every country will have their own domestic football teams. They all play in their own domestic football leagues, um, which include uh, the big, big clubs uh, and, and clubs that are smaller, and they have a whole structure going down to grassroots football. And the European Super League, um, in short, was basically the big, big football clubs, not just in the UK, but in Spain, in uh, Italy, um, the the they call them you know the the basically the biggest football clubs in the world in the world that are uh, bringing in uh, that have the most supporters have the most um, uh, financially uh, uh, powerful um, they all co- came together in like a secret kind of cartel mode um, the owners of these clubs thought okay they they already make a lot of money but uh, after COVID. Uh, and the effects of COVID, um, some of these big clubs have uh, been hit, making hits or getting hits in the sense that they weren't making losses. They just weren't making as much money as they were before. Uh, and they have been uh, kind of discussing this behind the scenes for a few years. This is not something that's just come out of the blue. Um, there's been um, uh, talk of this coming out uh, or this new kind of Super League format coming out. So they came together and thought, okay, what what can we do to ensure and guarantee that we continue to, uh, uh, you know, thrive financially? Mm. Um, So they came up with the idea of a a European Super League where the big clubs all have, uh, uh, all break away from their domestic leagues, domestic football leagues, and create this separate Super League where they all play each other um, and they're all guaranteed to be in it year in, year out. Um, they um, basically will not allow any other clubs to come and form part of it. They did say that there f- about four or five spots were available for other clubs to, to come and play in it, but these select 12 uh, football clubs, and then they were looking to Im- increase that to about 15, um, would, be con- uh, would be in the Super League and continuously be playing in it. Um, currently, the system is that they that these clubs need to finish uh, in the top two, three, four pl- places in their leagues in order to play in the current Champions League European football, and that's where they make the money playing in European football, Champions League football. Um, but there's a, a threat to them in the sense that if a club doesn't finish in those top places, they fall out of the of that European league, and they're not able to then make them the amount of money that they can. So they wanted to set up a system where they're guaranteed to be playing European football against the big top European clubs um, and start and basically rake it in. 
but that was killing the competition completely. I football and its spirit, and this was why um, the fans uh, were so against it, and the, not just the fans, the players, the managers, everyone involved in football who kind of understands what it's all about, they were so against it because it was completely killing competition and completely killing the spirit of, of football and that, you know, that dream, you know, like what Leicester City did where they defied all odds and, and won the, you know, the, the Premier League and, and managed to get into playing European football. That, that was gone. That dream with this new format was just not going to be there anymore. So I don't know if that kind of explains things for those who probably... Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's basically what, what happens. In terms of what we think about it, um, I'm sure we're going to try and link this to, because we don't want to talk about just football. <laughs> football let on let me podcast. dive in at that point, because <laughs> when I said to Madge, I want to cover this to- topic, and Madge was like, why do you want to cover a football topic, in the, especially in the middle of Ramadan? Um, yeah. And he's got, that's a valid point, because really these things are, worldly affairs that you know certainly in the month of Ramadan we probably shouldn't well we shouldn't be wasting our time with it but there was a reason why I wanted to cover this topic because it does highlight as we've been talking about capitalism it does highlight greed and it exposes the fallacy of capitalism because without sticking to any of the footballing elements this European Super League was purely about those capitalists not making a loss and just exploiting the whole game for their continued profit yeah to the extent that they're willing to kill anything that people love about football you know like you've mentioned the spirit and the competition and all of these things and the reason why I wanted us to speak about it is because it shows that you know these people who are so detached um, from the common man yeah, any you know, people people find their comforts from you know going and watching a match on the TV, you know, going to work, coming home, and remember, sport. Where did sport come from? Sport was like a distraction, you know, from like the Romans. You know, sport was like a distraction from the ills of society, and actually, even some of the 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 way in which the leaders treated people and and manage their affairs sport was used as a distraction and football is a distraction but football is a very interesting distraction because in the terms of people are so in love with football certainly in the UK it's like a religion yeah it's like Deen al-Islam, you know, Deen al-Football. <laughs> People love football so much, but the reason why it's important to understand it is we know as human, you know, when you look at human beings, human beings have like um, an instinct. It's like, it's, it's like a spiritual instinct, yeah? It's, they've, they've got within them this reverence instinct. Reverse something, look up to something. We know as Muslims that we satisfy that by revering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We satisfy that by knowing when Allah tells us that we've been created to worship him. Yeah, we satisfy that and we get tranquility from that. What ends up happening is those people who don't come to the truth, and actually Muslims have been affected by this as well, they get this, you know, things like football and things like entertainment actually, you know, they use that as the way to satisfy that instinct. 
And I think it's important for people to take scenarios like this and realize, you know, people go and watch football or watch football on TV or at stadiums and things like that. But who are the people that are profiting from their time? You know, what you're doing is you're neglecting potentially working towards solving some of these problems, these capitalist problems, remember. And what you're doing is probably spending more time following sport. You know, look at the type of coverage this has had versus, you know, when they were trying to abolish, you know, oh, they're trying to get rid of racism in sport. This has had wall to wall coverage, you know, for the last week talked about in mainstream news, not just sport news, in mainstream news. And the reason is because um, that this is so important to them. But at the same time, what it does is it gets people to stop thinking about the real world problems and start yeah. thinking about you know something that they feel is more sometimes more important to them and, yeah, the thing, and that was the just one is, of my reasons for wanting to discuss it I, th- I think it is a good topic to discuss because um like you said it's not just about football but it actually you can make a lot of parallels with the society with that this whole incident this whole event um and it's like you said they treat football and sport as a religion and that's not a that's not an exaggeration they do like you see banners in football games where they have like kids football wife in that order yeah that's their priority there's actually, man. there's actually banners that say um yeah yeah the, our our club it's our religion, religion. Yeah, yeah exactly and, and yeah. these hardcore fans will actually they actually say it that it this is. is like a religion to us it is when they lose they you know they're, they're proper depressed and when they win they're happy and they're you know um i think in both scenarios they probably uh, resort to alcohol so yeah that's i think that's what they do but what the point i'm making is that um it is a religion to them and if you think about it let's take it like let's go back a bit yeah what is our purpose in life we know as muslim our purpose in life is to worship allah right uh, this is our purpose so the, the pur- uh, purpose of jinn and mankind is to worship allah so what is their purpose allah even tells us in the quran what their purpose is those who don't have that purpose their purpose is to make their whims and desires their gods so football is just part of their whims and desires mm. so even if it costs them money uh, even if it's going to cost them tickets to get to a match or, you know, get Sky Sports or whatever it may be, they will spend that amount because uh, their purpose in life is to fulfill their desires, their whims. And one of their whims and desires is to get entertainment from football. So this whole ESL thing that's happened, I was looking into it thinking, if you think about it, one, one of the benefits of the ESL for these clubs is that they're going to make subnormal profits and revenues from joining the ESL because it's much more revenue than what the UEFA Champions League gave as well as it's guaranteed so you don't need to have they reduce the risk and for a capitalist risk is really negative you don't really want you want to minimize risk as much as possible you want to guarantee that cash right so this ESL sound like, sounded like a very you know profitable option for many of these clubs uh, and these owners, the Glaziers, uh, you know, the, the American owners across all of these clubs, uh, they, they're the ones that actually came up with it. So my question to myself was, okay, if this is a way of gaining more wealth and more profit for these clubs and capitalists, why didn't it actually happen? Why did it, like you guys said, only lasted two days? W- what happened here? Because in a capitalist system, anything that generates wealth and profit generally happens it, the moral and the humanitarian uh, you know elements of it aren't really considered it's all about how we make as much money as possible even the economy why is it that gdp gross domestic product 
is seen as the be all and end all. That is the the king of all measures because for them, prosperity, success is as you know is based on how much wealth a country can gain, how much productivity a country can earn. Right. So the reason I think it fell, you know, for, as Khairul and Russia has been saying, the reason I think it um, didn't last for longer than two days is that it's not really profit that people seek. Right. We we think in capitalism, capital and profit is the the end uh, king of uh, you know what they're seeking to gain, and it is it is. But we have to ask why. Why do people want money? It's to, in order to fulfill their whims and desires. It's not they don't want they're not they're not just going to keep money and do nothing with the money. Mm. They want to buy their cars, their houses. They want to live the dunya, right? So, taking back going back to this football ESL thing, right? Why why this didn't go through is that there was a clash here. That on one hand, football and the clubs were making lots, will make lots of money. And I'm not sure whether you know, but football is a massive income generator for the actual economy as well, mm. for the for tourism, the actual taxes they pay, you know, when they pay. Um, you know, it makes a lot of money for them. So that's why Boris Johnson and others are quite involved as well, because it you know it influences the economy. So why is it that it didn't work? Is because it's not really money that's the main point. It's it's uh, desires and whims and uh, benefit right and in a- economics there's a term is there's a principle in economics capitalist economics called utility so they, they their their um, principle is that um, man as an individual he will seek to maximize his utility what utility means it's a technical term but utility just means that he will seek to maximize his uh, uh pleasure right the benefit isn't it benefit yeah yeah but his benefit he'll, he'll seek to maximize his benefit that's how they view the individual they view him as a material object, a material being, that any action he does is to seek material gain, right? And that's what they call utility. And uh, the theory of marginal utility, basically, uh, not to get too technical, but basically it means that when you initially uh, consume something, the maximum value is in the initial consumption, and then it gets reduction. So I'll give you an example just to uh, highlight. When you, so I'll ask Majid, when you're going to break your iftara, you got a plate of samosas, yeah? Plate of samosas. Mm. Which which samosa t- tastes the best? The first samosa or the tenth samosa? Bro, all twenty. Well, nah, <laughs> n- n- uh, the first one. <laughs> the first one, isn't it? Because the the first one, that's when you're craving it. You're yeah, hungry. Yeah, yeah. You have that first samosa. But after a while, each samosa tastes less and less. After, after a while, because... you say you turn around to the miss, say, "Why are these so oily?" <laughs> <laughs> you start to complain. Yeah, exactly. But that that's the theory of marginal utility that. The first consumption is the best, right? So this is the this is their principle that they want to maximize utility, maximize pleasure and material gain. So taking it back to ESL, the, the reason this didn't work is that one of the tenets of football and one of the principles of football is comp- competition. Like people mm-hmm. like the fact that you have to compete to gain. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, you have to actually earn your right to get to the top four of the Premier League and then to qualify for the Champions League. Uh, and then even in the Champions League, there could be smaller clubs that you have to beat and, and you know, and, and actually win. If all of that is gone and you're guaranteed, say, European football, and there's no there's no difference between who becomes comes top, who becomes last, and there's no relegation, nothing, it defeats the whole purpose of football. So what happens there in economic terms is that the utility is not there, the pleasure is not there. You're going to watch a football match and think... It doesn't really matter if I win or lose. Nothing's going to really happen. So it just kills the pleasure. Why is it that we don't have as much pleasure in watching a friendly game? 
because it doesn't mean that's anything. True. That's true. You know, there's that, there's that saying, isn't it? That the the buzz that you get from the win is because you've gone through the pain of the loss exactly. previously. Absolutely. Just, and as United fans, we obviously we want to win. Like we're all United fans, right? We're all on win, right? Um, but we want to win. You know, we want to actually um, gain it. We want to actually be worthy of the win. Bro, just, yeah. we want to win the United way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we want to win the United way, yeah. Sorry, Karen, go just, just to add on to what JK is saying there, which is um, really interesting. Um, but you're right. What they've done is, you know, what, what in principle, from a capitalistic perspective, what, they, what these uh, club owners wanted to achieve is no different to what, uh, to what Google did in terms yeah. of buying out all of the rival online advertising vendors yeah. or what uh, Facebook did in buying out Instagram and uh, WhatsApp, WhatsApp or, you know, what like yeah. uh, um, Starbucks and Costa Coffee do in terms of buying out all of these local coffee sh- cafe shops and establishing like 10, 20. I don't yeah. know why you need that many Starbucks in one area, but you know, it's it's all about killing off the competition and um, monopolizing. monopolizing. So in principle, yeah. that's what these owners wanted to do. From a capitalistic perspective, that's there's no different to what these other corporations do out there. And um, I'll, yeah. I'll touch on that uh, afterwards uh, a little bit um, as well. But just to make the point, what, what they did wrong here is they committed from a business perspective the ultimate sin which is they killed off their brand. They yeah. killed off the product mm. because the product is what JK is explaining there, having competition and that, that football um, yeah. spirit of football. By doing what they wanted to do, it was killing off the product completely. It wasn't going to work. And mm. they quickly realized that after seeing not only did the fans uh, were against it, but their own football, their own players um, mm. and managers were completely against it. There was no product there. It was it was it would have fallen down very quickly yeah. anyway, um, but like I was saying, it's no different to what these other organisations mm. do mm. Um, in the business world. So shouldn't there be that com- uh, that conversation now amongst the masses here about their ideology? Now, mm. actually, yeah. it could be a good thing in the sense that now these you know the non-Muslims themselves will be start questioning like, hold on a second, look what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you say that but this is this is the thing this is what people probably didn't appreciate it or some people no actually some people did come out and say that we lost football we lost football the day we allowed these billionaire owners to come in and buy our clubs who are not fans of the club but just did it purely for profit making and they that, and that's a good point so some people did see it like that and that was another reason for looking at this because you know, the uh, the common fan nowadays, especially if you speak to like a, a 12, 13 year old FIFA player, what and even in some of these games, what do you have? Oh, there's like a mode in there that allows you to have a billionaire owner come along buy you. And all of a sudden you can play fantasy football where you can literally buy all of the bet. You can buy your Messi's and your Ronaldo's and your Erling Haaland's and all of that. And all of a sudden you can hammer everybody. That's not competition either, is it? Yeah, if, if someone can just come along and just pump billions into a club and buy all the best players, yeah, that's not that's not competition. But they allowed that. They allowed billionaire owners to come in because yeah. it was like, oh, okay, you know, like um, JK saying, there's that element of utility. 
Yeah, they'll get that pleasure for, you know, everybody doesn't get to have a billionaire. I'm going to get to have a billionaire. They're going to buy my club. I'm going to have all the best players. We're going to batter everybody else and I'm going to enjoy it. So they allowed it to happen. But now that it was one step further where all of a sudden the whole product is destroyed. Oh, it's not it's not okay anymore. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, and this links to hopefully my second point is what's interesting and to look at this from an Islamic point of view, yeah, is we see our ummah divided and people might think this is a, a funny link or this might not be a, a applicable link, but our ummah is divided, yeah, and we ca- we're struggling to unite, yeah, even though there's a threat against Islam, yeah. Football, I wanted to use the the European Super League and football as a little, you know, micro um, analogy. Yeah, because what did we see when this European Super League happened? All of the fans that normally hate each other, what did they do? They all came together. You know, the likes of Sky Sports and BBC, have you noticed they hardly ever even mention each other? So Mm. it's like a sin. You know, like if a, a BBC pundit mentions Sky Sports, it's like, oh, you can't give them publicity and vice versa. You know, play, people, some of the players, they came out giving these heartfelt speeches where they went, oh, you need to bring BBC and Sky Sports and BT Sports. They all need to come together against this. Did you see how all of those allegiances suddenly dropped when their, their love their lovely football was uh, being attacked when football was being attacked they all came together yeah. and and the reason why i'm linking this to islam is look today muslims we're, we're divided based on some people f- from a nationalistic point of view some people from the point of view of all of these sects some people p- from the point of view of certain differences of opinion yet actually we're united on our aqidah you know, if we actually recognize in the way that these football fans and pundits recognize that there's this external threat to them, if we actually recognized that they're trying to change Islam, they put these borders in our lands, they disunited us, and we need to get rid of all of that to unite in the same way as, you know, these players and, and managers and stuff suddenly woke up. Remember, some of these people were in positions of influence as well. There's another little link, yeah? Because, you know, the people on the ground, they carry certain thoughts. The, the football fans, they carried the thought that competition is needed. The relegation and the promotion is needed. You know, mm. I have to earn it. That, 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 that's the thought they carried. Yeah. Um, the managers and some of the people in slightly more influential positions, say the ex-footballers and the footballers, they also carried that idea, but they are in positions of influence. Yeah. yeah. Then these so-called owners, they don't carry these ideas. Mm-hmm. The owners are there purely for profit maximization, capitalism, wealth mm-hmm. accumulation. Yeah, that's what they're for. They detach themselves, but they have the power. What happened? The people of influence spoke. The people on the ground, their ideas came together and they saw a common enemy. They all came together. And what did they do? In two days, they overthrew this idea. Yeah. Apply that to Islam. We carry common thoughts, but we're being divided. We have mm. people in positions of influence that are not speaking out against the power structures. 
imagine just it's a synergy isn't it unless yes, you yes, think yes. otherwise i think there's a link there where yeah. if we as an ummah look at that situation and go that's how we need to deal with it mm-hmm. we need to put aside our tribalisms and there shouldn't be tribalisms remember from an islamic point of view like yeah. they put aside their tribalism we unite because we have one aqeedah we unite because we have one land forget these borders and we have scholars we have certain leaders that may be willing to speak out we have people in positions of influence that can talk about this and then we say to those people who hold the the strings they're not mm-hmm. that powerful yeah, yeah you know the your these leaders that are treacherous that are actually just held there in place by our enemies mm-hmm. and one of the yeah. arguments people make yeah. is that you know um they can't speak out these scholars can't be because they're you know they get paid by these people and they they will be imprisoned and there'll be consequences but so were the footballers so were these they they were being paid by these owners they must have felt a bit of a if we speak out there's going to be consequences but actually you know there's more to lose that's that's a sick point because initially some of them were a bit afraid to cook speak yeah. out but you know when one spoke out and the masses reacted yeah. positively then another player thought well if he can get away with it yeah. i can get away with it and then another and another and another and it snowballs and imagine if we see it now don't we when say erdogan does a certain action or mm. a particular scholar comes out and bashes the west yeah people get behind it but the problem is that snowball hasn't happened because of our disunity if we mm. unite and then people say the right things that snowball will just continue to turn into an avalanche mm. yeah it's a really good analogy actually because it helps people visualize actually the the methodology of change yeah. um, because like you were saying you got certain um uh, uh like uh influence influence yeah. uh, influential people um, that are on like these uh, media channels like Sky Sports and Gary Neville, for example, who came out and he was actually saying, this is an attack on football. And he actually used those words. It's an attack on us. It's an attack on football. We need to put aside all of our rivalries. Um, like you said, he was like, BT Sport, BBC, everyone needs to come together. They called it a civil war. They called it a civil war. (laughs) They called it a civil war. It was really like some sort of like, yeah, we need to go out and do some sort of military coup here against (laughs) these owners. Um, And um, yeah, and it just shows that if we as an ummah understand that, look, there's an attack on Islam. And this is why we always in our posts and a lot of our posts, we try to highlight like, look, there's a war on Islam here. They're trying to change our religion. They're trying to um, subjugate us, oppress us, and, and, and suppress Islam. But we need to understand that there is this attack on Islam. We need to come together as an ummah, unite and against this common enemy. And any differences, that, that's fine. We can have differences. There's no wrong with having difference of opinions in, in certain things. But the key thing is we all are Muslim and we all believe in, we all have one Aqeedah. Our Aqeedah is not different in the same way that Gary Neville was saying like we all uh, love football and the spirit of football and this is, you know, competition and all of those things that this is our, this is what we are bonded on. Yeah, that's their Aqeedah almost. Like we, it's a really good analogy that we can use. Like, as you're saying, it is a bit of a 
tenuous. Some people say it's a bit of a tenuous link, but it's just it's a good way of explain yeah. expressing the the methodology. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. If you're enjoying this podcast so far, please make sure to subscribe to all of our socials, especially YouTube. And if for any reason you're not enjoying this podcast, then please make sure to contact us on Facebook or Instagram and let us know what we can do better and how we can improve. Jazakallah khair. Yeah, and, and, and I mention it because remember, we need to bring along the next generation. Yeah, the next generation has been influenced by these things. You know, our younger generation, when you speak to your youngsters, they've been influenced so heavily by things like entertainment. Remember this whole European Super League thing. Why did it even kick off? Is like they started saying that youngsters nowadays are not watching football much anymore. But why, why not? It's because there's so many types of entertainment now be it your PS5s, be it your, you know, your Netflix, be it your, you know, all of these online platforms and things like that. There's so much entertainment that they're competing for people's eyeballs and people's touching their devices. They're competing for that. And what from a capitalist point of view, they compete for it on the basis of, oh, okay, the more people we have viewing and using our product, the more money we make. From an Islamic point of view, we should be worried because our youth are being lost to this. Our youth are being distracted from their deen and distracted from the problems that our ummah is facing. Because when you come home from school, college, university, work, it's very easy to detach and go, I'm not going to watch the news. I'm just going to go on my PlayStation or on Netflix or whatever. And I'm going to consume myself in this bubble of entertainment because worrying about people's problems is a difficult thing and I can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So we need to utilize some of these type of examples. Ask the youth, why yeah. is it that these people came together against this idea? You yeah, could definitely yeah. have a conversation with a lot of people about this topic versus sitting down with them and going, oh, this is how do we solve the problem of the Muslims? How do we solve the situation in Palestine, for example? One, one, one thing I've always found, it's not just this ESL thing, but even just generally, like, um, I, I, you know, I've got friends who like football and, you know, the amount of effort and analysis they'll go into a football match, right? The analysis they'll go into this event of this owner did this, or have you seen this and the latest and this? Like, next level. Like, it's like how, like, Mashallah, you have the capacity, obviously, <laughs> to analyze, right? But what about the same week, you know, what's happening in Pakistan? What's happening in Afghanistan? The same week, these things are happening, but your interest and your, uh, you know, your capacity of thinking is being utilized uh, for football. And, you know, don't give me the excuse that you don't have the capacity to analyze. And, you know, when we talk, talk about Pakistan and Afghanistan and the Muslim Ummah, it's a case of, oh, you know, What's happening there? We don't really know. Actually, if you gave it a bit of thought and effort, and what is this for? This is for the sake of the ummah. This is sake for it, the sake of Islam. You know, this isn't a case of we do it for our hobby, which football is. You know, this is a, a command from the Messenger of Allah that who does not, you know, whoever does not wake up thinking about the affairs of the ummah is not from us. So if you're not taking that seriously and thinking about the ummah, but you're more concerned about looking at your phone and seeing what the latest score is and analyzing every single goal. That tells you a lot, doesn't it? That where is our priorities? What, you know, what are we more concerned about? What mm. do we sleep thinking about? And what do we wake up thinking about? Is it football? Or is it the affairs of the Ummah? Is it the Muslim affairs? That's one thing that I think you can reflect on. And, you know, 
highlight to certain Muslims, a lot of us, you know, we are influenced by this because this is the, as Rush was saying, this is what the entertainment is all about. It's, it's a distraction. It's, it's a, a way very similar to the Colosseums in Rome, a way of distracting the masses from the actual problems of society. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And also, I think for the people in, in, in the West, I mean, you guys have clearly highlighted that the whole issue of ESL started from, well, it started because of greed. It started because of those people who are the owners. Um, they did it for their own personal benefit and they didn't really care about anything else. But I think, I think what it is, is what we can see is that capitalism as an ideology, uh, if you're going to think about the current times, uh, whether it's the last couple of hundred years, I think that in regards to exploiting the world, you know, probably this, you know, during the capitalist era has been unprecedented. Mm. And what we see is that people, normal people you speak to, they talk about taxes, they talk about this and they talk about problems. And, you know, they always, there's a famous saying of, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Mm. And, but people just, just go about it. I mean, you know, I remember the years and years ago, I was very young at the time, but when there was like the, the riots on the poll tax, you know, people oh, yeah. came out, right. And, you know, and people thought Thatcher and they always thought of a bad because of this, but the reality is that then they just changed it to somewhere else, whether it's called council tax, for example, and mm -hmm. things went on. And it just goes to show that because of the love for football, because of the love for football, for once, the people just came out and it looks like the, uh, the capitalists, through the arrogance, they overstepped the mark. But what's going to happen? They're going to say, cool, we're not going to do this stuff now. That's fine. Everything's going to settle. The new league's going to, the new season is going to start and people are going to forget. Mm -hmm. People will forget. And this is the illusion that, that is cast over people about the dunya. And going back to what JK was saying about what is our purpose in life. And for them, it's every day is just about, you know, um, get, having some excitement, you know, satisfying their materialistic needs. And that's the thing from, from, uh, from an ideology, ideological point of view, people are not ideological because mm -hmm. people always complain about they're getting rinsed, you know, the taxes are getting high and, you know, VAT and stuff like that. But why is it that on this issue, people got together? And it's because it's something that they loved. But as Muslims, going back to the issue of Rash was saying, uh, we do, we can't afford this this type of attitude because, you know, if 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 tomorrow we uh, a leader comes in who says Islamic things, we all get excited. Nothing changes. What's the what's the what's the value of that? What's the benefit of that? So real change happens when basically the people remove that those obstacles, that deep state, those those tentacles that brush mentioned in his in the last podcast when they they you know remove these from from our lands in the same way the capitalists are going to get away with doing things they, okay they, they're going to learn that they overstepped the mark but what actually changes and, and nothing changes until the whole system isn't changed yeah, yes let me give you another good little synergy yeah you know what these capitalists were doing, you know, these billionaires of these clubs and stuff like that detached from the, the common fan, what they were doing is the equivalent of letting the, the people who are the masters of wealth accumulation, you know, they, what, what are they good at? They're businessmen trying to make money. Yeah, they're the capitalists. And what they're trying to do is you're trying to ask them to design the solution. 
Yeah, it's the same as you know, every year there's a, a you know, have you heard of Davos? Every year there's a meeting at Davos of all of the so called billionaires or these super powerful people. Mm. Yeah, and what they do is they discuss um, philanthropy and they discuss how we can use our wealth. So they're the billionaires of the world. They sit down at round tables and discuss how can we use our wealth to solve social problems in the world. It sounds brilliant. Because it's like saying, these lot have the most money, there's all of these problems in the world, how do we solve them? But what comes out of Davos every year is, I don't know if you've heard of the term, it's called philanthrocapitalism. <laughs> so philanthrocapitalism is how capitalists, these billionaires, how they can use their wealth in a way where it looks like they're trying to benefit people, but actually what happens, they actually get richer. Mm. Yeah. So what they do is they invest in foundations and donor advised foundations and all of these things. Yeah. Which actually turn out to be just more ways of them getting richer. Yeah. So yeah. the common way to look at what happens at Davos is, oh, you're asking the people who are experts at accumulating wealth to solve the problem of wealth distribution. Mm. It's insane. You're asking the people who are the worst at it to actually now mm -hmm. solve the problem. We should be asking, why are there these billionaires? Mm. Why is it that, you know what, We've, we're in a very interesting time now where actually the billionaires, the corporations, are there, I think it hit the tipping point. The corporations are now richer than the nations of the world. So yeah. there was a time where a country was the strongest. So yes. America, be it Britain, France, Germany, their economies were strong enough that they were the power. Mm -hmm. So nation states were the, the powerful. Yeah, it's flipped now. Now you've got Amazon, you've got Google, you've got, you know, you've got your Zuckerberg, you've got your Bill Gates and all of these people. They're actually more powerful than nations now. Yeah. And what we're doing is we're going to them or at least capitalism is, capitalism is going to them and saying, can you find solutions for us, please? Yeah, yeah. Because the states are failing. When the states fail and then you go to these capitalists, you've lost already. Mm -hmm. You're basically saying, give us solutions to the problems that you guys are actually making worse. Yeah, it's this ridiculous. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? How can they go to the criminal themselves to solve the problem you know you are the root of the problem so how can you solve it and you know what even if some of them are not doing it intentionally say for instance there's a billionaire somewhere who goes you know what i want to use my money for good so we're not saying that wealth is a bad thing we're saying mm. that someone might go i want to use my money for good but a lot of these what it is is if you let man decide mm. if you go to man and you go oh you know what i'm going to use my billions for something good man is innately flawed yeah. He's going to look at something and go, well, okay, that might make me feel better. But he might yeah. have in him that need for wanting to make some degree of benefit. So when Zuckerberg said he was going to give 99% of his shares to his child, what did he do? He actually set up a, a limited liability company to put his money into, which, okay, now he doesn't have to pay tax on it because he's now saying, I'm going to move this money over here. I'm not going to pay tax on it because it's for my child or I'm giving it away now. I'm giving my wealth away. But actually what happens is an LLC company can still go out and invest. It can, you, exactly. it can still um, generate revenue. What happens yeah. is those super capitalists, they just become richer.
Richer and so richer, yeah. You can't so, ask for solutions from those people. This is where we need to go back to Islam. So mm. Islam has the solution for wealth distribution. Islam ensures that you don't get these, you know, super, super capitalists who own so much wealth at a time when there's poverty everywhere. And if people were just to take a little step back and go, wait there, we need to solve our problems, you know, by looking at our creed and looking at it from the point of view of there is a creator and the creator designed the best system for mankind. Mm. then we'd solve these problems. Unfortunately, Islam is a bogeyman that people don't want to look into. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that, I think this is a, a, a good, a good moment then to, you know, in your discussions with people, certainly with the, with, with non-Muslims um, to point out the, the ills of the society and then to mm. be able to, obviously if they give you their air to be able to explain to them how Islam in fact, eradicates these problems, and also uh, to speak to, and it's a good point that Rash made earlier. Also, speak to Muslims because you know uh, there are some times where I've been in gatherings with with, with Muslims, and um, you know, and all people are speaking about is this house, this car. Mm. It's all about business, and also to show to them that look, you aspire to live this type of lifestyle. But in reality, look at the look how this this whole system is erroneous and it's it's it's, it's rotten from from within. Yeah. So how can you aspire to be successful in their way of life when in fact we need to be we need to aspire for success in our way of life? But okay, inshallah, Taala, um, you guys have made some really fantastic points. So to sort of like um, uh, join the join the dots. Shall I say, uh, because there are there is a connection between the the issue of George Floyd and also the issue to do with uh, the ESL, and it's the fact that you know it's capitalism and it, the problem is ideological, and the people of the world they will not be able to uh, gain any salvation from this from this ideology until it's replaced with something which which is better. So whether we see the ugly face of nationalism and the ugly face of racism. Um, that's also an aspect of the capitalist ideology. Mm. And then whether we see the issue to do with um, liberalism, whether we see the issue to do with, you know, the, all this, this stuff that's being fed, uh, force fed, shall I say, to children right now, mm. all of this is an aspect of the capitalist system, liberalism, whether it's to do with the greed by powerful people who don't care about anyone else is another aspect of this. Whether it's through the death and destruction in the Muslim lands, it's again an aspect of one ideology not wanting another ideology, a rival ideology to rise and to remove it. Um, and, and even then, the people involved, if you look at all these people that are that own the, uh, the weapons companies, they're all part of the government. So all of the issues we can join them to one dot and that is the ideology of capitalism uh, which is the problem here mm. so inshallah that's that's how i i can link these together and see that this is the problem and this is a problem not just for the western world but we see it's a problem in our lands as well and until it's not dealt with these issues are going to occur east and west but inshallah i'm going to give opportunity to you guys now to maybe you know give your final thoughts your linkages if you got anything to add, um, 
and then we can uh, sort of wrap this this podcast up. I'll start with uh, with JK, uh, yeah. bro. Uh, if you want to add anything to this, your thoughts. Yeah. Final thoughts. To be fair, yeah, uh, in agreement with what you guys are saying, that both with the George Floyd uh, and the Derek Chauvin case, as well as like the ESL, the 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 point is that just because uh, you know Chauvin was uh, found guilty, um, the fact is that hasn't solved the problem. You know, is one one guy who's been felt found guilty. He's more of a scapegoat. Yeah, he deserves to found what he got. You know, what he what he's been given, he's, he deserves it. But he's one man within a, a, a huge system that is corrupt at its root. Right. And then going back to the ESL, um, you know, many of us can reflect on what kind of happened there. And, you know, you, many might even be celebrating the fact that it kind of only lasted two days. But look, we need to reflect on the fact that this is a, a reflection of society and the system itself. And just kind of I think often we can talk about capitalism and its ills and people will agree. But I think what's really important is that bringing to life how, you know, we're saying Islam is the solution. And, and you know this would solve these problems but but how and i think it's really important that we do read up on the economic system of islam the the social system of islam to understand okay how how do these how does islam solve these problems so for example you know with the esl you had this monopolization the fact that these uber capitalists are making subnormal profits and, and because of their greed this is you know this is part of it and the, and the fact is every person in the capitalist system has, a, has that greed because that's the thought process that they carry. Um, and the reason monopolies exist in capitalism is that it actually pushes them in that, you know, pushes them in that direction. So you have things like um, IP, intellectual property, you have copyright, you have these things that protect. What does it protect? It protects their profits. They will say it protects the idea. But in Islam, why is it that Islam prohibits copyright? It prohibits, prohibits intellectual property. The reason is because what is Islam isn't, the, the Muslim isn't there to gain. He's not a material being only. There is a material value in things. We do do things to gain for our family, to provide for our family. But we're not just material beings. We have, you know, religious reasons we do things, spiritual value, we call it. We have human, human, humanitarian value. We want to do things for the betterment of society. So because of this reason, we don't want to copyright. So if I come up with some amazing idea, that's fine. I can make money from that, but I don't need to protect it because actually if it's going to be the betterment of society, I should share it so people can build on it, evolve on that. And then it actually leads to more benefit to society. So in Islam, there's no such thing as monopoly. In fact, the only area where there could be a monopoly like a, you know, your utilities, your gas and electricity, where you can't really like divide it. In those cases, the government looks after it and not to make profit because in Islam, gas, electricity, utilities, it belongs to the ummah. So the governments don't make money from it. It belongs to the ummah. They, they don't charge the Muslims. They don't charge the people of the state. They give it to them for free. So what I'm trying to say is that that's just an example, but it's very important that when we talk about some of the ills of capitalism and the ills of society that we live in today, because we're so dominated by it, it's important that we also think about, okay, how would Islam solve this problem? And Islam does genuinely have an answer for all of these mm. issues. Um, and both the issues we spoke about, we can see how Islam eradicated racism, the only ideology to eradicate racism. And also Islam eradicated this concept of greed and materialism that we find today. So that's kind of what I... Think it'd be worth you know the audience reflecting no, no, on. And, and maybe some some really good suggestions for future topics where we could probably dig deeper and yeah. uh, it, it's 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 easy saying 
Islam has the answers, but I don't think that's easy enough. You need to explain how it has the answers. So exactly some really good suggestions there. Uh, brother Rash, um, your your final thoughts, bro? Yeah, I think JK's kind of said some of the things I was going to mention, but just a couple of little bits then to add is that I think it's important from the point of view of people are looking for solutions to these problems. And it is a good opportunity because like you said, that's how the two topics are linked. There are problems that are that have arisen or arisen from capitalism, and there are problem. They are problems that Islam has solutions for, be it yeah. poverty, racism, wealth distribution, the way companies are formed. You know, we talk about LLC type companies, LGBT, and like liberalism. So Islam has a solution to these. And like Maj is saying, maybe we need to go into each of them in a separate podcast for each one and mm. really highlight how Islam. Um, solves these issues what the other point quickly is that you are seeing people because you know those people who are not innately or kind of adopt capitalism as an ideology they are looking for an alternative you know there are people now promoting other forms of socialism because they've got to this point where they've gone well wait there communism didn't work the earlier versions of socialism didn't work. Then we went to capitalism. That clearly doesn't work. Let's mm. try and come up with some other random solution and let's bash capitalism. And this is why some people don't like it when you bash capitalism, especially non-Muslims, because they go, well, there's nothing better. We know there's flaws in it, but there's nothing better. So even these socialists will come in, out and say, well, we need another form of socio-capitalism. Or the capitalist will go, oh, we just need a, a less strict version of capitalism. Or we need capitalism with boundaries and these kind of things. But what they don't appreciate is when you take one of these ideologies, inevitably it leads towards its purest form. And when you get to its purest form, like capitalism becomes fascist. And that's what mm -hmm. we're seeing in the world today. Why are we seeing the rise of right wing under capitalism? Because capitalism actually leads to disunity. I think Madge said it earlier, it leads to the, the one, that, one is, that is stronger oppressing the weaker. That comes from capitalism, yeah? So no matter how you try and mold capitalism, it's always gonna result in these bad fruits. That's why you need to look at an alternative. And the only alternative is the one that comes from our creator. So, so that what that's what we we need to do, and maybe we need to break that those things down. And my very last message is um, glazes out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Hey, <laughs> yeah, what are you saying, bro? Uh, no, I don't think there's much else to uh, add to that. Some uh, good uh, final messages from uh, J.K. and and Bayya. I'll call him Bayya. Um, everyone knows him as Rash, but to us, he's Bayya. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I think the main thing is just to um, to, to to highlight that the, these both incidents um, in the George Floyd uh, incident with Derek Chauvin's um, sentence, and then obviously the ESL now not going ahead. People might see it as, oh yeah, um, they've been solved. You know, these these issues have been solved. But what we have to always uh, remember is that capitalism and as an ideology has its own defense mechanisms. And it will ensure that it, re it, it remains and it remains strong and, and will do everything it can to make sure it, it, it is not, um, you know, it's, it's not removed. It will make sure it, it, it stays in place. So we shouldn't see it as um, that, that this is, uh, these problems have been solved now, actually, 
we need to look at the alternatives as the other brothers have mentioned already so yeah i don't really want to go into it too much i think that's sorry to come back on that i actually slightly disagree i don't think capitalism is that strong i think yeah. we look at it that way because we've lived it you know in terms of our lifetime and it hasn't been around for that long yeah. look at some of the other you know islam and how long that was around for and and you know other kind of isms yeah so i think the reason we think capitalism is strong is just because of the likes of america and these superpowers imagine if there was a unified ummah all of the land all of the borders were dropped all of our armies were united everything was united together and we implemented islam and people from these countries looked over there and said wait there they haven't got these billionaires um, they haven't got all of these people who own all of the wealth. Actually, their people own the wealth, you know, the, you know, it's shared. And they looked across to the Muslim lands and said, oh, look at how they treat black and white. Oh, look at how their, you know, their family structures, how beautiful their family structures are. Look at how they don't have depression in their societies. Oh, look at how, you know, there's so much of Islam that if you saw it in action, I think capitalism would collapse in no time at all because their populations who are being consumed by this would look across the pond and go, wait there a minute, we want that. And then capitalism would crumble. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't saying that it was strong. I was just saying that it's going to do everything it can mm. to do. Yeah, no doubt. As a defence mechanism, but you're absolutely right, yeah. We need to recognise that. That's why some of the stuff that we're putting out on, on Votu is... Uh, uh, around that that topic uh, and inshallah there's some some uh, uh good posters coming out soon coming as out. well so that's just uh, there for the, for the viewers to uh to to look forward to inshallah inshallah guys uh i would just if i'm gonna weigh into what bay and, and khair were just saying is that you're right capitalism isn't strong but getting to that reality what you're talking about rash where you can show the islamic world as being that example that's not easy in principle it is easy but in reality we see that you know it, it, there are many obstacles in the way yeah. and i think maybe that's what that's what Khairul was trying to say that yeah agree they have agreed. put these checks and balances in place so that another alternative doesn't come around that doesn't yeah you're right so their way of life is weak but if if you if they can stop the the proper way of life coming about, yeah. then that prolongs their existence. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys have made all the points. To be honest, with you. the only thing I will add is at one point that Rush mentioned to me if, uh, in the week leading to the podcast, which he's probably forgotten about. I'm not going to give him the mic to go on about it because we're never going to end this podcast. But <laughs> I would say is that he mentioned to me that look at the difference between um, the reaction of the fans against this ESL thing. Mm -hmm. And the reaction towards fans, normal fans, against racism in football. Oh, yeah. Now, mm -hmm. if there is the same response from people as there has been ESL for racism, then you know probably something might have changed, have even gone along that, that way. But you can just see how people allow racism in, in in football. They allow it. You know why is it? If it was that detested, then why is it that the fans haven't reacted in all these years of bananas being thrown on the pitch? And all this stuff happening, right? These tweets about, you know, color and monkey chants and stuff like that. You try and tell me that the fans have acted in this way. If anything, only, play, uh, only the players have, have come together to some extent where they've said, we'll walk off the pitch. But the fans in the stadium, they've never reacted. But when it came down to the thing they loved, which was their football teams and their 
their uh, excitement of competition, they came out and they totally rejected it. So that's just a thought for people to think about in their own time. But inshallah, brothers, jazakallah khair for uh, really coming on this podcast um, in the month of Ramadan and, you know, with your thirst and with your hunger, um, sparing the time. For all the people listening and watching, uh, please subscribe to all our uh, social media channels, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, certainly. Um, with all these podcasts, I know they can be, if you've, if you've reached this, this point, <laughs> if you reach this point of the podcast, then respect to you for a start. But also, <laughs> there are people who don't really sit down and, and watch an hour plus podcast. So what we have been doing is we're breaking down the best parts in smaller snippets so please go and check them out on youtube and share them with your family and friends um and they have a they'll have a key message within them but obviously they also might uh, you know get encourage people to watch watch the, the rest of the podcast so on that note brothers uh first of all uh i want to say assalamu alaikum to you guys um and also uh assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to all our listeners and viewers